0: is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill, In my redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul, I will trust in him, no other. my soul.
1: Good morning to all of you. I trust you had a good Christmas. We certainly did and it's good to see you all again. Uh, just in terms of the new year, I know that uh, some of you like to use a Bible reading plan and if you do, you may have been wondering uh, why we 're a little bit behind in providing those but I've printed some off they 're on the green table at the back and this is a five day a week Uh, reading plan so it enables you to read the whole Bible in five days a week which I think is helpful because if you miss a day you don't immediately feel like you're behind you can easily catch up on that week's reading in the two extra days so if you haven't tried this I encourage you to take one at least have a look at it have a think about it it doesn't officially start the program until tomorrow so uh, you're not really that behind or maybe it's today actually anyway uh, you're not behind But uh, have a look at it and see if it's something that you might uh, do this year. And then uh, we also are celebrating the Lord's Supper as part of our time of worship this morning. That will be uh, towards the end of our service. And we are meeting again this evening at 6 p.m. Also to hear from God's word, our brother uh, Gerald will be speaking to us tonight. So I hope you're able to join us again at uh, 6 p.m. And then on Thursday... We have our first prayer meeting of the new year, and I hope that you can join us here at the church for that. As we come to worship God this uh, first Sunday of the new year, let's just take a moment to be quiet personally, and just to remind ourselves that the God we have come to worship is Lord of the years, and that includes this year that's ahead of us. So let's just be quiet for a moment before we pray. lord god we realize that we begin this new year as we begin every new year with no knowledge of what this year holds for us we cannot tell what twists and turns are ahead in these 12 months stretching in front of us we can't tell what joys and what sadness might come into our lives And so we're glad to begin this year together by looking to you the lord of history the lord who holds time in your hands the lord who holds each one of our lives in your hands you are the one we can count on we know your character we know your wisdom we know your power we know We can trust you for the year ahead whatever it holds for us and so we ask you to help us this year to trust you and to show our trust in lives of obedience amen what better way to start the new year than by saying together a summary of our faith as christians a summary that's been used since the earliest days of the church. It's the Apostles' Creed. So we'll stand and say this together before we join in song. Just stand with me, please. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy worldwide church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you we're going to have a Bible reading that reminds us as Christians our salvation and our security are God's work not ours we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 if you're using a church Bible that's page 1173 or in the larger print Bibles 1815 Ephesians chapter 2
2: desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace that you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
1: Our next song reminds us that what matters is what God has done for us and what God says about us. Who you say I am. Let's pray. Father, as we sing your praises, celebrating your goodness to us, and as we renew our trust in you, as we put our confidence again in all that you have done for us in Christ, and all that you have made us new creations in Christ sons and daughters of the king with an eternal place in your presence. As we remind ourselves of these things, as we give you our thanks for these things, as we rest in your love and acceptance, we also bring our requests to you as your children, as you invite us to do, so many needs we could mention we mentioned just some uh, together praying for one another we pray for the hopes this morning as they continue to enjoy a break after a busy christmas week we pray that you will refresh them this new year we pray for christina lanham as she has just uh, arrived into her new home in the u.s and as she visits her new church this morning we pray that you will bless her there, pray that the fellowship there will welcome her and love and care for her, and that she will find a true home there. We pray too for the Martin family as Chriselle is still trying to manage a visit to her mother who is so unwell in the Philippines. Father, after so many frustrations and disappointments, will you open a way for Criselle to travel? and spend precious time with her mother. We bring to you others in the fellowship who face severe trials this new year. We think of Carol Whitehouse and Morna Walkington as they continue with chemotherapy. Will you uh, renew their strength week to week? Will you renew their faith day to day? And also... Andy and John and both families as they support Carol and Morna. Father, we pray for Mary Field also in her frailty and Doreen Ellis also. You could mention others. We pray that you'll bless those who are frail and in weakness. We pray for others who are in great need of peace. In great need of assurance of your care for them personally and particularly in their situation. Will you meet their deepest needs by your Holy Spirit? And will you show us how as a fellowship we can meet their physical needs? Father, we pray for the elders as we seek to lead the church wisely this year. We know our weakness, and so we ask you to give us the wisdom we need to both glorify and honor you and to serve your people in the best way possible, whatever this year might hold. And now as we turn to your word, both here and next door in the Sunday school, will you let each one of us hear you speaking? Give us hearts that are ready to receive your word, not to bat it away or turn away from it. Give us hearts also that are ready to obey your word. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Now the Sunday school are going to be uh, moving next door. It's been a couple of weeks since we turned to the letter of James, so it's worth remembering briefly what we've heard from James so far in this letter. He is writing to Christians. He describes them as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. These are people God has given birth through the word of truth about Jesus. They have begun a new life. With the life giving word of God planted in them, James says. That is true of all Christians. And James has explained that God's goal for Christians is for us to become mature and complete. The way that's going to happen, he says, is by listening carefully to God and then obeying him carefully. At the beginning of chapter 2, James gave an example of listening to God and obeying him. The example he used was the way we treat other people. In order to hear what God says about that, we first have to stop listening to what the world around us says. And what the world around us says is that impressive appearances matter. They count for something. And so, the world around us says... The wealthy and the successful deserve more attention and more respect than the poor and the less successful. Jim says, that might be how things work in the kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of God, it's different. In God's kingdom, impressive appearances don't matter. What matters is loving your neighbor, whether they're rich and successful or poor and less successful really makes no difference. And James went on to say, this isn't something we're just to listen to and nod our heads to. It's something we must act on or else. James finished the passage on loving our neighbor by saying this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful if you don't show mercy james says you will receive judgment but james realizes some of those who receive his letter might not agree they might not agree that you must act on god's instruction or else after all Some people reading this letter might say, isn't the message of the New Testament that we are called to faith? And doesn't that mean action is optional? Surely the presence or the lack of good deeds in our life is beside the point, really. If we have faith, judgment day is taken care of, isn't it? In fact, didn't the Apostle Paul say, and didn't we read it earlier in the service, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So James, what are you talking about saying action is required? Explain yourself. And that's what James does. Starting in chapter 2, verse 14. So let's pick up there, and we'll read to the end of the chapter down in verse 26. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1214. And in the larger print Bibles, 1881. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder you foolish person do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is God's word. <clears throat> and it's one of the most important passages in the New Testament. Because it shows us the difference between true and false faith. This passage is not about whether faith saves us or deeds save us. This is about the kind of faith that saves us and the kind of faith that doesn't save us. First of all, in verses 14 to 19, James deals with false faith. How do we know when faith is false? False faith doesn't produce actions. That's how we know. James sets up the question in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And we're talking here about a specific kind of deeds. This is not just going and doing something. These are deeds done in obedience to God. That's what James is talking about in the context. James asks the question, can that kind of faith save you? Faith that has no deeds. The answer to the question is no. That kind of faith can't save anyone. Because faith that doesn't lead to obedience is not true faith. It's false, dead faith, not true living faith. And then having set that up, James gives a characteristic of false, dead faith. It doesn't produce actions. It only says the right things. Look at verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Words without action mean nothing. Even when they're great words. And these are great words. Go in peace is a common biblical blessing. So these are biblical words. But in this case, those biblical words are no good. They don't prove the person using them has true faith because there's no action to go with the great words. And it ought to pull us up in our seats a little bit to hear that by itself, saying the right things is a pointless exercise. Today, we would call it virtue signaling. Virtue signalling involves expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate our good character. But it goes no further than expressing opinions or sentiments. So, for example, over the last while, some political figures have been caught out saying the right thing about COVID regulations while ignoring those regulations in what they actually did. Others, not just politicians, have been caught out saying the right things about climate change while living a lifestyle that seems not to be impacted by concerns about climate change. Now, I realize there will be different opinions among us here about climate change and COVID regulations, but the point is when it comes to those issues and many others, We often see a tendency for people to make grand pronouncements that turn out to be nothing more than grand pronouncements. That is virtue signaling. And here in our passage, we could say James is dealing with virtue signaling when it comes to God's commands about caring for those in need. Someone who says the right things about that might feel they're demonstrating their faith in God. But James says, what good is it to just say the right thing? And the implied answer is, it's no good at all. So then, in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. A faith that does not produce action is actually no faith at all. It's false, it's dead, it's counterfeit, whatever word you would like to use. So James is not saying we have to work to earn our salvation. He agrees with the Apostle Paul that salvation is by faith. James's point is faith that is only words is not faith at all faith that's only words doesn't even deserve to be called faith and neither does faith that only believes the right things in verse 18 james imagines someone objecting to what he said so far someone will say you have faith i have deeds in other words james imagines someone arguing back and saying that there's no necessary connection between faith and deeds. They're two separate things. Some people are going to have one, and some people are going to have the other. But James replies in the second half of verse 18 Show me your faith without deeds. In other words, is there some other way to display your faith apart from through your deeds? No, it's impossible. You cannot show your faith unless you show it through your deeds. So James says, I will show you my faith by my deeds. But at this point, James imagines someone saying, you're wrong. There is another way to show your faith. I can show my faith by what I believe. My beliefs demonstrate my faith just as much as your actions do. James' reply to that comes in verse 19. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. If beliefs were enough to demonstrate true saving faith, then the demons would be saved. Because they most certainly believe in the one true God. God. There are no atheists in the supernatural realm. And there are no believers in false gods there either. The demons have great theology. They know the truth. So why aren't the demons saved? What's the difference between a Christian and a demon? How would you answer that question? What's the difference between a Christian and a demon? The difference is demons believe the truth. Christians obey the truth. Of course, beliefs and words are important. But a faith that goes no further than beliefs or words is a false, counterfeit, dead faith. True saving faith starts with belief, of course. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at words either. It goes on and produces actions. Deeds of obedience. That's James' point in the second section of our passage. True faith does produce actions. And James gives two examples of true faith abraham the founding father of israel and rahab a canaanite prostitute that's an interesting combination of examples but first james take a, takes a look at abraham's true faith in terms of background to this what we need to know is that before abraham ever had a son before he ever was anyone really, God made astonishing promises to Abraham. Even though Abraham and his wife were both elderly and childless, God promised that a nation would come from there. In Genesis chapter 15, it tells us the Lord said this to Abraham, whose name was Ab- Abram at that time, it hadn't yet become Abraham. God said to Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be abram believed the lord and he credited credited it to him as righteousness that was a very significant incident in the bible Because it showed that righteousness or right standing with God, what it has always been based on. Abraham's righteousness with God did not come about because of anything Abraham did. It came about by faith. It came about by Abraham putting his trust in God's great promise which is exactly how your right standing with God comes about and how my right standing with God comes about. It's not through what we do. It's through putting our trust in God's promise to save those who come to him through his son, Jesus. So in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith not because of his deeds but how do we know Abraham's faith was true faith we know it was true faith because it produced deeds and here James focuses on a very specific deed of obedience in Genesis chapter 22 long after Abraham put his faith in God's promises And after his son Isaac had been born, God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. What? We could spend all our time this morning thinking about that command from God. But the significant point here is that it was a command from god and abraham set out to obey it and in the event god stopped him while he was in the act of obeying isaac was kept safe but what james wants us to see is that abraham's faith mentioned in genesis chapter 15 that faith was shown to be true faith by abraham's obedience mentioned in chapter 22. Abraham's faith was revealed by his obedience. That's the point. And so when verse 21 says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. The sense here is not that Abraham had faith in Genesis 15 and then to be properly counted righteous, he had to add deeds in chapter 22. No, not at all. Faith and actions are not two separate things that have to be added together for someone to be righteous. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. And because that faith was true faith, it resulted in action. Abraham's faith, Abraham's action completed his faith by bringing it out into the open. His action expressed the reality of his faith. There's another statement in scripture that might help us to understand this. 1 John chapter 4 verse 12 says this If we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us The significant thing here is that free is made complete When John says our love for one another completes God's love does he mean that God's love was lacking somehow Does he mean God's love was inadequate or that it was faulty until we started loving each other? No, God's love is perfect. The Bible stresses that. God's love was perfect before you and I ever came into the picture. So how can John say God's love is made complete in us? He means god's love reaches its intended goal when you and i love each other he loved us so that we would love each other and when we do his love is therefore made complete in us it does what it was intended to do and it's similar with abraham's faith abraham's faith was not lacking it wasn't deficient before he raised his hand to sacrifice Isaac? No, but that act of obedience brought Abraham's faith out into the open. His obedience completed his faith by putting it on display. What Abraham did made his faith visible. And so if you look at verse 23, In Abraham's act of obedience in Genesis 22, the scripture from Genesis 15 was fulfilled. We might say it was shown to be accurate. Genesis 15 said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And now we know that he believed God because he obeyed him in Genesis 22. When the first glass skyscrapers were built in america in the 1950s some of the office workers in those buildings were very very reluctant to climb 30 and 40 stories up and sit in an office that had nothing visible to stop them falling off the edge to their death i can certainly sympathize with that hesitancy and so to give those workers confidence that they were perfectly safe in their new office the building manager came into the office and he gave a lecture on the strength and the thickness of the glass its ability to withstand stress and force he explained how the design meant they were perfectly safe sitting at their desk looking over the edge of the precipice but the lecture didn't seem to have much effect. The workers were still nervous. They still didn't wanna be there. And so finally, the building manager asked them all to stand back and then he ran full speed across the floor of the office. He flung himself against the glass wall, bounced back off the wall and landed on the office floor. That building manager had told the office workers the glass was totally trustworthy. He had assured them that he personally had faith in it, but it was not until he threw his whole life against the glass that his faith became obvious. And in Abraham's faith, Abraham's case, his faith became obvious when he lifted the knife to plunge it into his son Isaac. His act of obedience completed his faith by putting it on display. And that helps us make sense of verse 24. You see then that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now we've already noticed that in other places, the New Testament says we are justified by faith alone. So then have we found a contradiction in the New Testament? Not at all. Those other passages are speaking to a specific kind of situation. They're addressed to people who thought their works could save them, that they could earn their salvation that way. In those passages... Faith alone means it is only faith that can save you. Not works and not even faith plus works. We're saved by faith alone. We trust in Jesus' work, not in anything we do. But here in James chapter 2, we already know James is speaking to a very different situation. He's speaking to people who think saving faith won't necessarily have an effect on your actions. People who think that faith goes no further than believing certain things or saying certain things. So in this particular passage, faith alone means faith that doesn't produce action. And James has already told us that kind of faith is dead faith. It's counterfeit, false faith. In this passage, faith alone means the kind of faith the demons have. They believe in God, but that belief doesn't result in obedience to God. It's faith that does nothing, and so it's good for nothing. In this context, faith alone means the kind of unproductive faith that's not worthy of the name faith. James says, true faith will not remain faith alone. It will become visible in actions. And to illustrate that, he gives us a second example. Rahab's true faith. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, as with Abraham, Rahab's actions did not make her righteous. They revealed her true faith in the Lord. This incident is recorded in Joshua chapter 2. After Moses had finished his teaching in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites prepared to cross the Jordan River into Canaan, the land God had promised them. And they sent spies ahead to scout out the land in advance of the rest of the people. Those spies went into the city of Jericho, and there they met Rahab. And Rahab told those spies she had put her faith in Israel's God. Because of all she'd heard about his dealings with Israel. She tells the spies, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab had true faith in the Lord. And that faith produced action. She protected the Israelite spies. Her faith revealed itself in what she did. So, like Abraham, Rahab did not have a false, dead, faith alone kind of faith, a faith that was just belief or just words. Rahab had a faith that didn't stay alone, it produced deeds. And that, as we've seen, is the only real kind of faith. But why would James choose Rahab as an example? There are plenty of people he could have chosen. Why choose a Canaanite prostitute? And why set her alongside such a revered figure as Abraham? Surely it's to show this is what true faith looks like for everyone. From the most famous in biblical terms like Abraham to the most obscure like Rahab. There's only one kind of genuine faith. Whoever you are. Whoever you are, true faith will reveal itself in deeds of obedience to God. No exceptions. And there's no disagreements about this among the writers of the New Testament. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul speaks about the obedience that comes from faith. In his letter to the Ephesians, he says those who are saved by grace through faith are saved to do good works. In his letter to the Galatians, he says what counts is faith expressing itself through love. The Bible speaks with one voice on this. Whoever we are, true faith will reveal itself in deeds of obedience to God. No exceptions. And whoever we are, faith that produces no action is no faith at all. It puts us on the side of the demons. The demons who believe but don't obey. No exceptions. And that's why in the verses we put on the screen earlier, right at the start of this, James said, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If anyone arrives at judgment day having professed faith in Christ but if their faith has not produced obedience if the genuineness of their faith has not been revealed in actions then they will receive judgment. Not because they had no works but because they had no faith. True faith shows itself through action, through works of obedience. So when we gather here at church and we sing our wonderful songs about God's great grace to us, as we sing, In Christ alone my hope is found, when we sing those songs, we are singing glorious biblical truth. That's why we sing songs like that every week. It is truth you and I can take our stand on. It's truth that calms our anxieties and gives us peace. The truth that we're saved by God's grace alone. Received through faith alone. And as we sing those songs of faith, let's be careful not to misunderstand them. Let's not get the wrong idea that true faith remains alone. As we start this new year, let's hear the message of James chapter 2. That true faith will show itself in acts of obedience. When we come to Christ in faith, we receive royal robes of salvation. And then... We live to serve our majestic king. We throw our whole life behind our faith. So let's just take a moment to be quiet and to think how this applies to each one of us personally in our own circumstances. Ask yourself in the moment of quiet, what will it mean for you to throw your whole life behind your faith this year? How can you bring your faith into the open this year? Through your deeds of obedience to God. Let's think about that in God's presence for just a moment, quietly and personally. The bible tells us our faith prompts deeds it produces work our love for the king results in labor for the king and that is the truth set out in our next song it's a song of true faith perfect for the beginning of a new year to him we come This morning we've been trying to hold two very important truths together. The truth that salvation is by faith alone and that true faith does not remain alone. It produces obedience. And this table reminds us of the first of those truths. Reminds us that our salvation is something Jesus Christ has achieved for us. We cannot achieve it by our own efforts. So if you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then this meal is for you. We invite you to join us. But if that doesn't describe you, or if you're really not quite sure what I'm talking about, then please just let the bread and the wine pass you by this morning. Jesus told us that the bread represents his body broken for us. So I'm going to ask the servers if they will come and distribute the bread to us now. And then when everyone has been served, we'll eat together as a sign of our unity in Christ. Let's eat together and remember what Christ has done for us. Jesus said this cup represents his blood poured out for our salvation. Again, as you're served, please keep the cup and we'll drink it together when everyone has been served. Let's drink together and give thanks for all we have in Christ. Our last song reminds us of the truth that lies behind all our deeds of obedience. The truth that in Christ alone our hope is found. Just stand with me please. you hey, hey. now go in peace this new year to love and to serve your king amen